Welcome to the village. It's good to see all of you here. I want to just read a couple passages to you. We're going to start first in an ancient proverb. Um, it's Proverbs chapter 22, um, verse 6. It says this, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. I'll read that again to you. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Let's jump over to a letter that Paul wrote the Ephesians, and he writes a little note to dads in chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate or surprise or jump up in front of your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, exasperating is literally the word means like a, rearing it just like a mountain appearing in front of someone. So don't surprise your kids, but be consistent and teach them. It does too. You don't get you don't get away with exasperating either. <laughs> Chapter four of Deuteronomy, the Moses um tells the Israelites this. He says in verse 9 of chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, he says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Tonight I could go on and on and read to you really cool passages about children and about parenting and the basic gist of it is is that if you train your child up that when they're older like the first verse i read they will not stray from your training they'll turn out okay and all of these things that i've read and the more that i could read to you are true if you train your child up they should turn out okay only there's a problem with that it's a really big problem with it that is, is that you've all had babies, right? Or a lot of you have, not all of you. But you've been a baby, so you know this. Um, but those are, we've been around a lot of children I, in the last few years. And what you realize with the kid is that they're not perfect. And in fact, when they pop out, they're really, really willful little things. On top of that, you are not perfect. So here's the problem. None of what I read really will work for you. Because you're messed up. And so is your child. So things aren't going to go well. The promise isn't going to work out for you. I'm just telling you, it's not going to work out for you. There's only one way that it works out, and that is, is if your child is perfect, like Jesus, then you can train your child and they'll listen to the good things you tell them because they're perfect, right? The only other way it works is if you're both perfect. You can't, if you're perfect and your child isn't, it's not going to work for you. Okay? So, I want you just to hold on to that. And I'd like you to have just a little angst if you're a parent. If you're about to be a parent, if you're thinking about being a parent, or if you're just a kid, think about being a child and the way you were parented. Okay? And the way your parents interfere even now in your life and try to teach you and raise you, right? I want you to think about this. I want you to have a little bit of angst tonight. Because you see, we're in Genesis. And we've been listening to our stories, the stories of our great-great-great-grandparents. Now, the way that they become our great-great-grandparents is pretty simple. If you go back into the Gospels, like I said last week, you will find these two genealogies of Jesus. And in these genealogies of Jesus, the people and characters of the, New, of 
of Genesis show up. Characters like Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah and Esau. Well, he doesn't show up in the genealogy, but his brother does, Jacob. So these are our grandparents. Now we talked about how family gives us an identity. We need to know the stories of our family, the bad stories, the good stories, all those kinds of things. We need to remember. And one of the things I love is to hear my mom tell stories about Montana or my dad to tell stories about Ohio. And, and the thing is, is the stories get bigger and bigger, right? So now when I tell my dad's stories, and I tell the story of like, well, he almost got to the Olympics in the javelin, right? Probably not quite close, but he did. He almost made it there. He almost made it in swimming too because he, so my dad's like almost an Olympian, right? Now see, so what happens with stories is they get bigger, right? But they give us meaning, and, and they, I feel important because my dad was almost an Olympian. That makes me feel good about myself, right? But the stories of our great-great-grandparents, if we're followers of Jesus, help us understand who Jesus is, and they help us understand where we came from. They connect us to something. Now, last week, we did the chick flick, right? We talked about... Isaac, and we talked about Rebecca, and it was a good story, right? We have a 40-year-old single man who's lonely, he's never been married, and his father has this promise that he's going to be a great nation, and that he's going to have lots and lots and lots of children, only he has one child, and that child's not married yet at 40. Um, there's some problems there, maybe he needs some counseling. And um, if you're 40 and not married... I'm not going to talk to you about counseling or anything, I promise. Um, sorry if I, I insulted you. I didn't mean to. Um, it just came out like that. But what happened was Abraham acted. And Abraham went out and got his son a wife. And, and there's a beautiful scene in there when Isaac is out praying in the field and he sees Rebecca and the music's playing and everything's beautiful. And it wraps up really nice. And it's, you know, I told you it was Brad Pitt and Uma Thurman because those are, you know, two of my favorite romantic characters that I would like to make a movie with. Um, but everything ended good. It was nice. They got married. Isaac was happy. Rebecca was happy. It was a chick flick. It makes you feel like things are conquerable. Love is good. It wins. Well, now we're going to, tonight you, you've come into the independent film. It didn't cost us much to make this film. It's, it's grainy. Everything is depressing and sad and painful. And so I want you to think pain. And, and, and nothing's in order. There's no, no, there's no order in it. So it doesn't go from, you know, plot part A to plot part B to part, part C. It's all over the place. And so the opening scene is we have, this is the sequel, and the sequel is never as good, right, as the, especially when you change genres and go from chick flick to independent, gritty film. But Isaac and um, Rebecca, their story starts in chapter 19, but here's the setting. It hasn't actually happened in the events we're going to talk about, but it's the, it's the foreshadowing, it's the thing that kind of lays over the mood of the film. We start out with the idea that Abraham, Isaac's dad, dies. Now here's the thing. Abraham 
has this promise from God that he's going to be a great nation and the world's going to be saved to him and there's going to be and he's going to have children like the, you know the sands of the of the beach and the stars of the sky and now he's dead. And Isaac's had some strange experiences. If you don't know his whole story, go back and read. He's had some weird stuff going on with him and dad, like dad putting him on an altar and you know this has been a little strange. But he has this promise, and now the man who holds the promise, the man who talks to God, is dead. Okay? That's what's kind of this kind of the mood that lays over this. Now, the events that happen, Abraham is not dead, so it's but you need to have that feeling as you listen to the story, and we'll kind of walk along. Verse 19. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. So Abraham, I mean Isaac gets married. He's married at 40, and his wife is barren. Now, his dad... Abraham had the same problem. He had this promise and no children, and he was told that Sarah, his wife, was going to have a baby. But he decided, because things weren't working out, that he'd force things. So he took the, the maidservant, and, and he had a baby, but it wasn't the baby of promise, and things got kind of complicated when Isaac came along. So Isaac kind of learned a lesson. So Rebecca has a baby at 20 years later. So she's barren for 20 years, and Isaac prays. So Isaac has a problem and he prays. Now when he gets an answer and Rebecca is pregnant and these babies are fighting in her stomach, what does she do? She goes and asks why. What's interesting, remember if you remember last week, when Rebecca sees Isaac in the field, what is he doing? He's praying. There's some kind of relationship that Isaac has with God where he instantly decides that whatever problem is happening, he should ask God about it and ask God for it. Now, what I want to just kind of talk to you a little bit about tonight is, at least in my life, when I face a problem, my tendency actually isn't to seriously pray about it. And when I face a problem for 20 years, my habit is not to pray about it for 20 years. But Isaac is willing to do that. And I think sometimes in our culture, maybe you've heard this, but that we shouldn't be people who constantly are going to God and asking him for things. But I want you to think about this. God is your father. He's a perfect father. And I've learned something from my kids. They don't go into my room or come up to me and say, oh, dad, you are almighty. You decorated my room and Spent $100 on the clothes just yesterday. Thank you, God. Thank you, Dad, for the way you drive me to school every day and care so deeply for me. No, they say, I would like, and I want, and can I have, and this is a problem, and can I stay home from church, and 
They're, <laughs> right? They're constant. They, they're telling me what they need, and they have no sense that maybe they shouldn't do that. But somehow you and I have gotten into a relationship with God where we feel like we maybe we need to approach God in a certain way and we need to say the right things and, and we need to focus on Him and only Him. And I think that's good. Those are all good things. But if you are unwilling just to say, God, why? And God, please. If that isn't an integral part of your relationship with God, it's going to be very difficult for you. Because asking why and asking please is a big part of relationship with each other and with God. And Isaac and Rebecca are willing to engage God. And I love, here's Rebecca, they get an answer. 20 years later, she's pregnant. And what's happening? There's a cage fight inside her stomach. Right? There's a battle going on. It's her first pregnancy and she's saying, why? Right? Why on earth do I have to deal with this? And so she doesn't, I mean, the little we know about her, she goes to God and she says why. Now, God has no problem saying no. God has no problem saying yes. He loves to say yes. He also has no problem answering you. And a lot of times, the answer is not exactly what you want to hear, which I've also learned with my kids. When they say why, I often tell them, and it's not what they wanted to hear, right? It's not what they wanted to hear. Now, I don't know if this is what every pregnant woman wants to hear when she asks God, why am I having a painful pregnancy? But this is what is said. Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, I want to stop there. If you don't know, Esau, we'll find out he's one of them, and he, his children turn out to be Herod, right? the Edomites. Herod is an Edomite. And Jesus is in the line of Jacob, which we're going to find out about him. And he's, so you have Herod, this battle gets to be played out all the way through history. It's going on in her womb, this battle. Now, she prayed, she got the answer. Now, it doesn't say that she was exasperated. It doesn't say that she was upset. It's just silent on that. But you know what? It's actually really helpful. I don't know if you've noticed that when you ask why from God and he actually gives you just a straight-up answer, that it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to be like, oh, okay. Maybe it's not what you wanted to hear, but it's nice. It, it says that God is in control, that God has a plan, that he's doing stuff. So, verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, the brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now, we've had a lot of babies here, and you guys have named your kids some pretty sweet names. I, I like the name. But these People are pretty pretty down, just down to earth. The man comes out with a lot of hair. He's going to be named Harry. Okay? Esau is basically the Jewish translation of Harry. Like, if you've ever met Harry, that's who Esau is. I like that. Harry, right? I know a few Harrys. That's, but, but he's actually Harry. Now, Jacob comes grabbing onto his brother. So what do they call him? 
They call him Jacob, and it means supplanter. It really means the guy who elbows everybody out of the line. You've experienced this person, right? Sometimes when we're going in the line to eat, it's the little kid who's like pushing you out, or the pastor who shoves you out of the way. That's who Jacob is. That's, that's who Jacob is. The supplanter, the elbower, right? The guy who gets in the way. I want to I want to stop here because I read you those those verses at the beginning about training your children and they'll grow up in the way they should about telling people telling your children about God and what you've seen and all those kinds of things. But what I want you to hear at this point in time is that the wills and the destinies of these two children are already in God's plan. They pop out and they're pretty set in their ways. Esau is hairy, so he's just he's he's stuck that way. It's just bad for him all over. And Jacob is already trying to get in front. Okay? Now, that means that one is at least strong-willed. Either that or Esau was trying to fly out to shoot as fast as he could to get away from Jacob. Who knows? But <laughs> that's the nicest way I could say it, right? Okay. And maybe it was just because. You know, Esau was so hairy, Jacob had hairballs. I don't know what the, the issue is there. He wanted to get out. But I want you to hear this, that it's not all about you. You know, when we watch our children, and they do things that frustrate us, and for those of you who have little children, now it's just trying to keep them in order, but as they get older and they have more volition and they make decisions about the way they love Jesus and what girls and boys they love and what kinds of jobs they're going to have and how they're going to deal with their college education and how they deal with adults and all these kinds of things, it's actually not all about you. It's not like, yes, you're not perfect, but these little kids have volition and will. And they're going in a direction. And you can't just make them do what you want. And their poor choices aren't a complete reflection on you. And we're all in different places in that, but we all have to wrestle with that. And this is what Jacob, or this is what Rebecca and Isaac have to deal with. Now, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And you can see a problem happening here already, right? You can see, I'm not going to suggest that we learn a lot about parenting from this story, but here's one thing you should learn. It's really not good to have favorites. It's going to mess things up in the story, and Rod will tell you more about that in the next few weeks. But it's just not good to have favorites because of the dynamics here. So here's the two characters. You have Esau. He's lean. He spends his life eating protein, okay? He likes to go kill things. I was at uh, the McConnell's little Halloween thing, and Jeff was telling us about this guy who cuts and gets a big cut of meat, puts it in his refrigerator for a couple weeks, lets it age, sticks it on the grill for just a few minutes on either side. He likes it really rare, and he eats it. That's who Esau is. He's a man of protein, a man of rare meat, right? He likes to sleep out in the stars. I, I think he's skinny, real skinny really wiry, really strong. But Jacob, he's on the food channel, okay? 
But he's not a big, rotund guy. Jacob's like muscular. This is the man you're going to find out who went one-on-one with the God of the universe and wrestled with him. I suspect that he has muscles bulging everywhere and he stirs. When he stirs something, he loses the spoon in his big hands. But he loves food. And he's always lifting things for mom. Right? And, and dad loves meat. And Jacob loves vegetables. Right? They're easier to kill. Um, so those kinds of things, right? So this is, this is what's happening. One's away for a while. There's a conflict between the two of them. We're not going to hear how the whole story pans out today. We're just going to get a picture. But you need to have that picture for this next part of the story because this is going to show you the character of these two individuals and how they interact. And it's got to be heartbreaking for got to be heartbreaking for Isaac and Rebecca. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was called Edom or red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. I don't know, like I haven't had this conversation with my family, maybe with my brothers. I have two brothers. I've never asked them for the birthright. That may be because I have it. But that's but there's not a lot. Like they've never asked me either. They're not like, hey Eric, here's here's a big old pizza. If you give me my your birthright. It could also be that they're my parents aren't as rich as Abraham and Isaac. But um there there may be not a lot of inheritance. That's why they haven't come to wrestle me. But Jacob Jacob is like, I want in on this. And here's an opportunity. I know when Esau has overdosed on protein and then hasn't eaten for three days, he doesn't think straight. So here's the moment. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? <laughs> He's like, I'm so hungry. Which is, this is my son. He comes in and he says, are we going to eat? No, not yet. Can I cook myself something? No. When are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? How are we going to eat? It's because he has this metabolism that by the time he gets to dinner, he, he only eats a little bit, and then it burns really fast, and he wants to eat more, and so he's constantly wanting to know when he can eat. And when he hasn't eaten for a while, he gets really hyper and doesn't think very straight. He's like Esau. And Esau's like, all I want is food. I don't care if you have the birthright. If I'm dead, what good is my birthright anyway? So you need to feed me. Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now what, why is a birthright important? Well, you get a double portion. You get the place of honor. You're the important person. And this has been the trajectory of Esau. He wants to be there. Now, God has already promised it to him. But he wants it. And he wants it now. And he's figuring out and he's scheming how does he do this. He looks for his opportunity. Now listen to how this ends. So Esau despised his birthright. We don't know a lot about Isaac and Rebekah, really. But we do know that it seems like Isaac and Rebekah had a really deep heart for God. And they liked to pray. And they cared about their relationship with God. And as their children play out their life, 
it has to break their heart. They had to be upset at some level, even when, you know, we'll find out how Rebecca and Jacob plan things out later on. But there has to be some agony over the way things are going between their children. And our movie tonight ends with, so Esau despised his birthright. That's what I want to leave you with. He despised his birthright. There's the movie. We have parents who are distressed. We have kids who don't get along with each other. If you go back to Isaac's story and Rebecca's story in the chick flick, it ends, so she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Here's the thing. Romance is awesome. Being in love is awesome. Thinking romantically about things is awesome. But the reality is, is that as you put together a family, and we're all different places, and as you live out life in this world, it's harsh. And as you add more and more children to that, you don't have control of them. You can try to influence them. You can do a lot, but you don't have control. In the end, it's up to them. And yet, it's gonna, there are going to be times when it's heartbreaking to you. It's not going to always be heartbreaking. Sometimes it might be for one child and not the other, but they're going to grab your heart. I want to go back to what I read at the beginning. If you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he won't stray from it. That's Proverbs 22. The idea of all of those passages that I read to you is simply this. I think not that you should figure out the right ways that you should train your child, parent them correctly, get them to obey and listen and give them do all the right techniques and give them all the right things. No. What's really important is for you to be acquainted with Jesus and to acquaint them with Jesus so that when they walk into those places where they make poor choices, where they're trying to steal their brother's birthright, when they're doing things where you're like, I wish they wouldn't be doing this, or you're worried sick about them, that they will have been acquainted with Jesus so they're familiar with his voice so that when he speaks, they can hear it. Our role, and I think Jacob's, I mean Isaac's, and what Isaac and Rebecca do, is they walk out in front of their children and they acquaint their children with Jesus. And so what I, I don't have a huge, gigantic, step-by-step way of being a good kid or being a good parent tonight. What I want to just offer you and challenge you with is that as you walk along, no matter where you are or what you've done, I would encourage you to begin the process of thinking about what does it look like for me to live out my relationship with God in front of my children, to acquaint them with Jesus, to acquaint them with Jesus. That's, that's what I, I want and I hope for all of us. Now, that doesn't matter if you have kids or don't have kids. This is something that you know, most people end up with children. Most of you will have children or have had children. And your job is not to do it, get it right because you won't. It's not to try not to screw them up because you will. I guarantee it. I've already done it and I, only, you know, I have a 12-year-old and, a, and an 8-year-old and I can see their sin in that's mine. Like, I've just given it to them. Like, here, let's eat from this sinful table together. Right? And they do and repeat me from like the simpler things, saying words when I get angry, and then they repeat me. That one, to just the way they deal with pain. 
and struggle in ways that aren't good. The thing is, I need to walk my relationship with Jesus in front of them and talk to them about how Jesus interacts with me. Now, let me just talk to you slightly a little bit about that and how you might do that. But I also want to just say, as I'm talking about this, I want you to hold on to the angst of this film because it, it plays out in you know movie three, which is coming next week, to a theater near you. But this is, this is where, where a lot of us are. We're somewhere in our life in the middle where everything's not resolved. Or, you know, things aren't perfect. They aren't always right. And so I want you just to feel that unsettledness. And then I want you to listen to 1 Peter 2, which is one of my favorite um, passages. 1 Peter 2, um, starting in verse 9. This, this passage is going to tell you who you are and then kind of talk about what's, happen- what's happening, what you're supposed to do. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. That right there, I would say, if you want any step in being a parent, or actually just being a follower of Jesus, but being a parent, is in front of your kids, you have got to say, this is where my brokenness was, and this is how Jesus delivered me. They need, when you, when you, someone asks you or kid about their parents, first they should tell them about how they almost made the Olympics. And then they should tell you about how God has brought them out of a broken home and into relationship with Jesus. Whatever they, whatever it is that God has done in your life, they should know it and they should be able to recite it. Because when they're desperate, when they're broken, when they've made poor choices and are dealing with the consequences, they know that Jesus is a deliverer and that he delivered their parents. And I love this because this is actually the kind of the prayer I pray over my children every time I put them to bed. And I pray this out loud, an idea from this. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Here's the thing. What I have realized is that I can't save my parents. I mean, that's true. I can't. I can't save my kids. I can't do the right things to have them find Jesus and to have a relationship to Jesus and to be obedient. And so what I often pray over them is, God, will you save my child? And will you continue to save them? Will you show them mercy? And I pray it over and over and I pray it out loud because I want them to know that it's not me who saves them, and it's not my faith. It's Jesus who saves them. And so, what I would ask you to do as a parent, and I, you know, last week I wasn't talking to parents, so if you're not a parent, just log it away somewhere and think, hey, this is going to be useful information someday. Um, but I would encourage you, one, to tell your children, even if they don't want to hear it. Make it one of your annoying stories at the table about what you did, what the, your brokenness was, and how Jesus has delivered you, what he's done in your life. Let them know, so because then they can repeat it. They can get excited. Or they can say, ah, Dad, whatever. And then it'll come back when they need it. But the other thing is, I would, I would say pray. Get on your hands and knees and say, God, please save my child. Please save my child. Please act in their life. Do something. Because I can't. Now here's the joy. The the God that you're praying to 
died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Jesus is a hope. He can take people, children who were not of God and make them of God. That's exciting. That means that their salvation, their path, their journey isn't up to you. It's up to God. You get to participate. You get to be part. But now that's that's all I have to say tonight. That's what I want to put in front of you and put on the table. What time is it? I have a few minutes for questions, comments, thoughts, reactions. Yes, woman in the glasses. Isaac? Well, Isaac and Rebecca were married. But Jacob... Right, but that was later on. No. Jacob. Isaac and... Yes, Isaac and Rebecca are... Right. Yeah. Right, it's, the, it's Jacob. But yes, because there's another Rebecca in there. Yeah. Rachel, thank you. Yeah, I'm trying, I was really trying hard not to put the spoiler in there. I want the story to play itself out. That's okay. <laughs> so that's, that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Any, any other? Oh, yes, ma'am in the corner. Thank you, Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I, I just kind of want the opportunity to bring it down full circle for those of us who are going to be entering into the foster care and the adoption process. I think it's really important that we hear the message that we can't spare the children when we go on to foster care. Sure. I would appreciate it as I enter into this process, is to remind me that when we when we have this kid that we completely fall in love with and they come from an abandoned situation and whatever's going on with them, as much as I want to fix everything that's happening, I need to remember that that's not my place. Yes, sir. Yeah. I will I will say that to you. Remember that. <laughs> it was in there. Somewhere. The damage is broken. 
Anybody else have anything else? There are other people I just want to do. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, we also want to maintain the mindset that there's Right. Yeah. Sure. Right. No, totally. Okay. Amen. I'm going to go Emily. Is there someone else that was? Are you going to go ahead, Dan? Then I'm going to pray. <laughs> you can.
Thanks, Ben. I'm going to close with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wisdom of my community and the way they bring that and their courage to say stuff. God, we, we want to be people who tell your story about how you intersected with our life. Help us to be versed in that, to be good at it, to be able to speak the gospel to our kids and to the children around us. 